1: Welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren. Um, Today, we are honored to have with us Congresswoman Carol Miller. She represents West Virginia's first congressional district, and she also serves on the committee on the Ways and Means, a very prized committee assignment. Congratulations on getting that. She is a mother of two. It's two sons, right? Am I correct on
0: that? Yes, you are.
1: Seven grandchildren. And she's married to her husband, Matt. They live in Huntington. And she owns and operates Swan Ridge Bison Farm and manages real estate. And she's been in Congress since um, 2018. Congresswoman Miller, welcome to the show.
0: Well, good afternoon and thank you.
1: So the first most important question I'm going to ask all day is this. How was raising two sons prepared you for managing the chaos of Congress?
0: There were many times when they were just like puppies wrestling around. I mean, they're, um, they're two and a half years apart, and personalities totally different from each other. Um, and their interests sometimes coincided in things like Little League and football, but um, it, it was a, a good beginning of where I went, and of course, I volunteered in the school system 16 or 17 years. Uh, I, I actually certified to teach. Uh, I always joke when it was when dinosaurs roamed the earth, but <laughs> I I was a stay-at-home mother working a farm and working um, apartment managing, managing um, from the time my second son was well, he was still in diapers in age forty one so it's been quite a while and um it, all the different experiences that you have in life because I waited until I'd raised my family before running for the state house and then of course, in Congress in twenty eighteen and so I have years of experiences of lots of different volunteer work, lots of different kinds of boards. Uh, Being in shows, God gave me a beautiful singing voice, but he didn't give me the gene of let me entertain you. So I never wanted to be in the lead role. I would have been perfectly happy standing behind a pillar just singing my heart out. So, you know, I don't have the usual type of personality necessary for politics, but, um, you know, just all the years of experiences I've had through different boards and different volunteers and and managing apartments and managing you know I raise bison by the way so they're they're not just fluffy sweet little animals they are we maintain them as nature intended them to be they are grass-fed and they wander um, over acres and we move them around and then we we do harvest them for meat Um, I've done a lot of different things I've, I've been in Grocery stores, cooking and letting people sample. I've been in farmer's markets. I've done all kinds of different things, which leads me back to your question. Uh, Raising two boys and sitting on bleacher after bleacher while we're quarterbacking or playing basketball or or whatever we were doing, uh, all has prepared me pretty well for this rough and tumble sport.
1: That was fantastic. Speaking of rough and tumble sport, you are on the Ways and Means Committee. Tell our audience, um, what does that mean, being on the Ways and Committee? What does that mean to them? And how is the the debt ceiling debate being affected by your committee assignment?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, the debt ceiling is, is going to affect everything. But the Ways and Means Committee is the oldest, most prestigious Committee in Congress and it's the only committee that's directly mentioned in the constitution so i'm I was humbled and honored because i I realized my freshman year I came in I was on transportation and infrastructure oversight and climate crisis, but I realized very quickly when I started dealing with issues uh, in my state that trade was so vital, and you know it's been the Rulers, I guess we would say um, or marker or something since the beginning of man trading one thing for another, be it a stick for a rock or uh you know you killed an animal, and I just built this really neat canoe, however we traded um it it's been around forever, and so with our world in the condition that it's in um Trade is very important, and so I've, I've met with over eighty ambassadors, extending my hand to them as the world leader of the United, you know, the United States. We're a pretty big deal, and we need to make sure that we reach out to all of the countries, and particularly our allies. But I, you know, getting back to your question, which basically was about the debt ceiling. Oh, you know, our debt right now is 31.2 trillion dollars, and we've increased it over the last two years by about 10 trillion. So it's extremely important that we solve our debt crisis um, and protect our taxpayers. So, and our, you know, everybody. But I'm focused really on trying to get the reckless spending under control and being very cautious. And deliver it with what we do because we, I don't want my grandkids shouldering this burden. And we've, ever since I've been around, the spending has just gone up and up and up. And just like, you know, if you gave your son a credit card when he went off to college and he went whoopee and just maxed it out, You might be really, really angry with him, but you still owe that debt. And so you would definitely put a curb on his spending right away, but you're still going to have to pay your debt. And that's making it pretty basic. But that's what we are up against right now.
1: Well, you know, and, and that's a great point. You hear the national press likes to say, and it's true, Republicans have also been responsible for this national debt, and they have to a great degree. But as you deal with your Democrat colleagues, where do they think this money is going to keep coming from? Have you, have you asked that question? What, I mean, when is, when is the till run out? Where do they think it just keeps coming from?
0: Well, you know, they always talk about taxing the rich. But what they don't realize is most of the people that are burdened are, are the working class people. And money – I was taught money doesn't grow on trees. I started babysitting when I was old, old enough to hold the baby on my hip and earning money. And I hate to say I earned 35 cents an hour, but <laughs> that's um, that was the going rate right at the time. And then 50 cents and I really thought I was someone I got up to a dollar, but you know, I, I worked as soon as I could, uh, you know, at 16 years old, I was out in the workforce. So uh, it comes out of your pocket comes out of my pocket, and we have to be strategic in how we handle it.
1: Well, it's not only it comes out of our pockets. The way we're spending, we don't have enough money in either anybody's pockets to keep paying it. I mean, that's the problem, right? Correct. You've got, to, right. you've got to start balancing it because there's just not enough money in all of our purses and wallets and money clips. It's just not there.
0: Well, and I I used to joke when I was in the State House um, That when my kids left home, I just filled all their closets with my clothes, too. And so then I got to the point where I wasn't going to buy anything new unless I took something else out because there wasn't any room. So you, you can do it pretty basically there. But there are so many items that are funded year after year after year that nobody goes and checks back and thinks you know, do we still need to do this? Do we still need to park our horse down the street from the Frederick hotel? I mean, you know, some of these things need to get off the books and be um, really looked into. And that takes a lot of hard work.
1: Yes, We're with Congresswoman Carol Miller, Republican from West Virginia. Congresswoman Miller, you have a great bill, which I think all, taxpayers should know about. So when the American Rescue Plan was passed in 21, it lowered the threshold of $600 a year with no minimum on the number of transactions that the government can tax. So if you get Venmo for somebody selling you a Peloton bike or movie tickets or dinner, after $600, they want to tax it. That's, isn't that, is that correct?
0: That is exactly correct. And it just blows my mind. If you've already bought a drum set or a Peloton or anything paid taxes on it, and you're downsizing your house, or your garage is just full of bikes and all these things, and you want to move them on. And you know, people are much more sophisticated in the way they move money around. So, um, I thought I was a big deal when I learned how to do Apple Pay, but the it, to do this is just ridiculous. They've already paid taxes on them once and they're just basically recycling things into the economy. And it's just not the right thing to do. And, um, you know, we had it before where the reporting requirement was $20,000 and 200 separate transactions, but this is just another budget gimmick pay for, is what we call it. And so to lower it to, The threshold
1: of $600 is just ridiculous. Uh, Dear listeners, um, what Congresswoman Miller is talking about is she has proposed H.R. 190, it's Saving Gig Economy Taxpayers Act, and this proposes that independent contractors are those who made money through an e-commerce platform like Venmo or PayPal. We have to earn at least $20,000 and have at least 200 transactions to qualify to submit a 1099. And so you need to pay attention to this. This is really important because of the American Rescue Plan of 21. That was eliminated. So whatever transactions, whatever money you get in for $600, and it's been suspended for a year, they're going to start taxing. So contact, That's your, right. contact your congressperson and tell them, no way, Jose. Um, we have about one minute left here before our break. How can people get a hold of you and find out more about for example, Saving Gig Economy Taxpayer Act, or learn more about you?
0: Well, you just call the office.
1: That is, so, a, that uh, is an old school way I, of doing that. <laughs>
0: well, I have district offices um, in Charleston. I have them in Beckley. I have one in Huntington. And um, I should say I, I know my own phone number, but I better look it up real fast because <laughs> I've got different offices that do that um, in in Washington, it's 202-225-3452, and I mean, as far as the rest for Charleston, Huntington, and Beckley, West Virginians. I mean, we're we are a family. We are a community-based group. Everybody knows each other, and they text each other, and so nobody's ever had any trouble getting a hold of me at home or any of my staff because we just. Call each other and text. So, as far as Washington, it is what I would call fancier or a little bit more professional, but there are plenty of ways to get a hold of us.
1: Fantastic. We're going to take a break. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm Chuck Warren, and we're with Congresswoman Carol Miller of West Virginia. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren. Today, boy, we're honored to have Congresswoman Carol Miller, um, representative from West Virginia, serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, and we're excited to have her for the second segment. But folks, are you concerned about your retirement? If you're not, you should be. And that's why Sam and I recommend to you that you go visit YREFI.com. It is a due diligence approved firm that you can earn up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right. 10.25% rate of return. Just log in, type in on your computer, invest, dot com. That's invest, the letter Y, then ref or call 888 r e f y dot com and tell them Sam and Chuck sent you and they'll help you get your retirement plans together. Um, Congresswoman um, Millard, tell us a little bit about the Energy Export Caucus, which you serve on.
0: Well, I am a founder of the Energy Export Caucus. Thank you. Um, If you take into consideration where I'm from, which is West Virginia. And for 160 years, West Virginia coal and natural gas have been powering the world and helped to build our country from the ground up. And you know, I saw the need, um, having served in the state house for 12 years in various functions, and recognizing that one of our best exports was now becoming our children, our educated children because of the war on coal, um, that people need to understand how important it is for us to have dominance in the energy arena, and to do everything cleanly. And so um, I was trying very hard to make it a bipartisan caucus. We have Henry Cuellar and Lou Correa, one from California and one from Texas. Um, You know, Lou's more interested in windmills and solar panels. Um, Of course, Jody, with the oil that you have in Texas, and you know, from our end of the world, um, I did I manage I didn't mention Jody Arrington. He's the other Republican beside myself, co-chairing um, along with um, Henry Cuellar from Texas. I'm stumbling over myself. Sorry. And it's so important for us to be energy independent and to have an all of the above platform on how we, future in the future, that we power our country and. You know, the power grid, as we all saw with that last terrible freezing that that went on um, in Texas and and grids were having a lot of trouble keeping up. So I've taken that committee and we're going to open it up to anybody that wants to join because we had a whole lot more Republicans at the time that were more pro-energy. But just to reaffirm our commitment to the all of the above energy and Pragmatic energy solutions, the, the carbon capture, all the things we're lo- working on where, you know, hydrogen and nuclear and all of these, you know, graphite, graphene. There's so many different things that are going on in our country that we should be supporting and um, doing whatever we can to um, flourish. I met with people from the EU two years ago, plus, and said, "Why in the world are you buying your gas and oil from Russia?" Do you understand that they don't like you? And, you know, then we, they thought, oh, no, we're going to be fine. And then, lo and behold, they do start cutting off power to Ukraine and various places that, gosh, maybe Carol was kind of right about that. But it, it's important that we also export to our allies and support them and have the good energy solutions that, that we want to have and, and keep being competitive and certainly not buying our energy from countries that are not our friend.
1: Well, it's the perfect example is what Ukraine war with Russia's invasion has done to Germany in the European Union right now. I mean you are were- prophetic to a degree, telling them, stop relying on your enemy. And that's what Americans, even those who don't like energy production, and we have some of those in our country, have to realize, unless you're energy independent, you are beholden to the whims of the world.
0: That's exactly right. And I'd say, do you not remember your history? Do you not remember? Talk to your parents or grandparents about World War II and what happened. And oh, how terrible they were to the Ukraine then, them starving them. I mean, it, the history's there, you just have to learn from it, and we're not learning teaching enough of that in school by the way well, it's the whole nother.
1: oh yeah, it's a whole a whole nother kabang, isn't it? um talking about Ukraine for a minute, and I don't spend a lot of time on this. Do you just see this being prolonged for another couple years, and do you see a, a way out of this mess over there?
0: Well, I'm really glad that, that Europe and other NATO countries are stepping up um, because I think they now realize how important it is. And, you know, Russia is the aggressor and the Ukraine was the breadbasket. And if, if you just look at the pictures of, of what they've done to that country, it's just absolutely terrible. Me so, right. you know, I, I'm supportive of sanctions against Russia and um, many things that, because we are united behind the Ukraine and their fight for freedom and democracy. Don't forget that. You know, Vladimir Putin, is he needs to be held accountable.
1: Yes, he does. Um, let me ask you this. When you go back and do – we've got three minutes left here. But when you go back and do town hall meetings, what is the most common question you're asked by your constituents?
0: Well – done a lot of town hall meetings since COVID. Um, We did a lot of those over the the phone with bringing physicians in and the rest. But I travel... My district, you know, it's seven hours for me to drive to D.C., but if if you go from Huntington, West Virginia, all the way across Pocahontas County and into those beautiful, beautiful mountains, it's a five- and six-hour drive. And so I I make sure during these district weeks that I'm meeting with the county commissions, that I'm meeting with the business owners, that I'm meeting with, you know, somebody that owns a truck stop or a restaurant or, or whatever, just to hear. And so systematically... Um, I'm going, and, and since we've had the change, and I will put a dig in about bad policy, you know, West Virginia's population has shrunk to the point that we are now just two districts. So I picked up 10 new counties, and so I've got 10 counties to make new friends in, and that is what I look at it as. And so I am traveling around. I'm, I'm all the time on the move in the car. Um, so I've changed from being on bleachers to being in the front seat of a car, moving all <laughs> the but, um, they are concerned about having employees, uh, supply chain. Um, I'm having trouble getting this, or I've been I'm in the process of building a house and lumber's gone out of the roof, and you know, getting a hold of the plumber. And it, it's very basic needs that um, after COVID and people, There was so much money flowing around. There are a lot of people that just haven't bothered to go to work. Anywhere you go, there's a sign, help wanted, you know, please apply. And, um, you know, when you own a business, employees are very, very important to you. And I, I don't think sometimes the people on the other side of the aisle truly understand how a business owner respects and appreciates good Employees and so they're struggling and looking for people that want to work. Um, we still are feeling the the pain at the pump. We're feeling the pain when you're buying eggs or milk or or any of those things. And so th- that's what I'm hearing about. But I think for the most part they're they're just grateful that this pandemic is um, okay. no longer going you know the major factor in everything that we're doing and that you know that was the initial reason why some of that money was spent is because we were in uncharted territories but well, then absolutely. they took it and congresswoman, <laughs> so, yeah, I, i'm gonna yeah.
1: end this break but you're absolutely right we appreciate you coming on the show we hope you'll visit again for our listeners besides listening to your local radio station you can catch us on Breaking Vote congresswoman miller thanks a million
2: Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren, Sam Stone, now joining in studio and on the line with us today, another fantastic guest, Republican Congressman Josh Burkeen from Oklahoma's 2nd Congressional District, a committed Christian, husband, father and fourth generation rancher in Cole County, Oklahoma. Boy, you have been facing all the headwinds in your own profession. Now you go to D.C. and you are in the middle of a debt fight of a lifetime.
3: Yeah, it's... Uh you know people don't realize i know it sounds anytime the, the the intensity of the moment is upon you you think this is the worst it's ever been but people have to understand since the past 85 years we've had a hundred different debt ceiling uh, debates um this is something on average we do every year and the the, the ma- most major reforms on spending not that they've been transformative but most of the major transforms on transform or Spending reforms, not transformative, have occurred since 1985. There's been 11 of these, and it's because of this type of, of, of leverage that the debt ceiling uh, brings forth. So,
1: so, let me ask you this question. I, I, I think we're in agreement. Us defaulting is not a good thing, correct?
3: No, I mean, but we're not going to default. Even when you look at the 95 Contract America class, when you when you have two November then December uh, standoff, government shutdown, they're going to pay the interest on the debt. They're going to pay. The, um, the, the they're going to prioritize, and really what it creates the opportunity to do is is for discussion about where are the areas that the federal government is supposed to be involved and in, where are the areas that they shouldn't. I mean, we're going to take care of Medicare and Social Security and the interest on the debt and defense. Um, and the the sky is falling uh, type discussion that happens only serves big government spending interests.
1: So what we agree with you here in the studio, you know, look, we we, I think we all of us here are talking. We agree you can't default, and B, we can't continue on this path we're on. They're not sustainable. Period. It just it can't happen. And the more we continue on this spending path, the more we give up our sovereignty. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Because other people are making decisions. So, for example, we're spending seven hundred and fifty billion a year on interest, and people want to talk about we need money for this or that. Well, you are spending seven hundred fifty billion dollars on your credit card bill. I mean, they can't continue, yeah. right? So,
3: wh- yeah, so let's, let's, take the, let's break these numbers down to your point.
1: Okay, okay. okay go ahead.
3: So the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, says that we are, before the end of this decade, seven years, we're going to be spending a trillion dollars just in interest payments on our debt. That is, that's not principal. That's money flushed down the toilet that, that is the exact same amount. Actually, it's more. We spend about $800 a little over $800 billion right now, in, in defense of our country, all our military, all, all expenditures. We are, within seven years, going to be spending more on interest to service our debt than we spend on it. What a waste. Well, and it, then the CBO is saying that with, w- within another little over 25 years, almost half of our entire federal budget will just be interest on our debt. So we are headed towards uh, fiscal collapse. You read economists and you got to be careful with them because most of them are <laughs> right. professors funded by the federal government through colleges. But the, the wisest one I have read across the statement from says, "We all know this can't continue forever; will come to an end." That's what we're facing. We're facing. We think it'll happen to everybody else, but not us. Um, yeah, it always happens. It
1: always happens for, to other guy, but not us. My question is: Do yeah, you think your constituents understand the gravity of the problem?
3: Well, that's why you know. That's why it's important for people to to to, to know the numbers. Right. I mean, people, people hear trillion dollars tossed around, and no one's going to address the problem unless they can really understand the problem. And, and most people, I think, look, I come from the business world and I had a time in state politics, but when you're in the business world trying to run a business, you don't have time to, to get your head around the problems of the nation. You're trying to, you know, the problems of your household, the problems of your business. And so to put this into perspective, everyone can start understanding and go, wait a minute. I've got to demand my elected official start cutting spending. Can we grow – You know, can we have our, a, a, an economic boom that can help us out of this in part? But we cannot grow our way out of this problem. We, ha- we are also going to have to cut – we're going to have to go out to the areas that the federal government has brought in that were not a part of the 18 enumerated powers. The Article 1 section Eight of the Constitution said that was a role of the federal government. We've got to start identifying – is that really a role to the federal government or is that a role to the states or the individuals?
2: Well, that's absolutely critical, I think, at this point, because I don't think folks realize how much the annual deficit has increased in the last five years from, I think, $300 billion a year to over $3 trillion, right?
3: So the I can go by my kids by how much we've, we've uh, grown our national indebtedness. So keep in mind, until 1981 – we did not even have up to a trillion dollars in national indebtedness. And to put a trillion dollars in perspective, I would have to count out a second at a time, a dollar, lay a dollar down on the table, take me a second, pull my hand back, bring another dollar out there. It would take me 31,000 years if I didn't eat or sleep to put a dollar at a time and get to a trillion dollars. 31,000 years to count out a trillion dollars. Wow. And so we that- tripped a trillion dollars in 1980. And then about 2007, um, we C- are Congressman,
2: in- I'm going to hold you up there. We're going to continue this when Breaking Battlegrounds comes back in just a moment.
0: You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor costs less.
2: Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. On the line with us right now, Congressman Josh Burkine from Oklahoma's 2nd Congressional District. When we went to break, Congressman, you were talking about the explosion in the national debt from 1980. Just reaching a trillion dollars at that point to where we are today, I, I'd love to, for you to pick up where we left off.
3: Yeah, so 1980 we reached a trillion dollars, and then we by the 2004 era we're about seven trillion. By the time we get to 2010, we're at about 15 trillion, and here we are, a little over 11 years later, we've gone from 15 trillion to 31 trillion. We have doubled our national debt in the last 11 years.
2: That, it's it, astounding.
3: It, we, get, we are. We are um, spending spree laden, and we have to have somebody sitting in the saddle that, that pulls the horses around. And says, "Whoa!"
2: I, you know, I think people understand what, Einstein's maxim about the power of compound interest in their personal lives and how it can apply to wealth generation or debt creation, but very few people, Chuck, seem to understand it on a national level. So, uh, Congressman, how do we start? Besides
1: having the government, federal government actually focusing on what they're supposed to focus on how what is a plan you think and i mean this is just ballpark here what do we start doing to pay down this national debt i mean that's that's
3: yeah we've got to prioritize and so i'm on the budget committee Um, we are looking at uh, the areas of prioritization the the, the great thing is we have founders that were brilliant they wrote article one section eight they listed 18 enumerated powers and I'll just name you some of those. Um, some of those 18 enumerated powers are one fourth of them is war, uh, declaration of war, military, army, navy. Um, you know, that is, that was supposed to be the areas the federal government was to have in, in their bailiwick. And then you had the post office and post office roads and piracy enforcement, coining money, borrowing as in one of those enumerated uh, powers. They're really good at that one, um, <laughs> regulation of commerce what we've done is, outside the – I didn't list the full 18 of them, but then it gets to the Tenth Amendment. They wrote all powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, just to abbreviate what's said in the Tenth Amendment, are reserved to the states of the people. What we've done is – there's a book that Stephen Moore, that advised Reagan and Trump, people recognize his face, um, he was at Cato, etc. Stephen Moore, and it's called Restoring the Dream, and he said in 1900, 60% of all tax collection was done at the local level, and tax collection and tax spend, 60% on the local level, and only 20% in 1900 was on the federal level, and by the time we got to the mid-90s, those numbers had flipped, and 67% by the mid-90s of all tax collection and tax spend was on the federal level, and only 20% was on the local level. Wow. What happened is we we perverted what was the role of the federal government versus what was the state and the individual responsibility. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I, I want to posit something else because it's something we've talked about on this program. If we did what you said and cut the federal government back to its enumerated powers, we would be returning a lot of power to the states and to local jurisdictions. And I think given the division in this country, that's part, potentially one of the best things we could do to start healing is allow people to live – in their states as they choose with less intrusion from the federal government. Do you agree or disagree?
3: Yeah, I agree, and James Madison agreed. You know, They never wanted the the, the minutiae of the details to be done on the federal level. Um, Federalist 45, James Madison writes, the powers of the Fed are to be few and defined. He was, he was talking about the articles, uh, the, the, those enumerated powers in Article one, uh, 1, Section 8. And the powers of the Fed are to be few and defined. The powers of the state are to be numerous and indefinite. They wanted laboratories— of democracy, experimentation across state lines where you can look at success or failure and another state can say, oh, we're going to try that. Or you see a failure and go, we're not going to try that. We're going to do something different. We don't have experimentation because so much of this is top down.
2: Well, and, and you served as an Oklahoma legislator. Oklahoma, for folks who don't know, is has been uh, a very well, I mean, generally very well-run state. You guys are in good shape. Your citizens are happy. You've got a balanced budget. Isn't that the kind of thing that everyone should have the power in their hands to do?
3: Yeah, we should. Um, I ran the bill that put a cap on our state debt when I was a state senator. Now, to be frank with you, they play last uh, loose with, with that. We have uh, tax-backed and tax-supported debt that there's ways to get around balanced budget. <laughs> right. So I had to put a – I mean one of the things we need to do on the federal level if we could ever get the courage to do it is you know, a constitutional amendment. And what's the things I've learned, some things people across the country have learned even in states that have a, a – Balanced budget is you've got to make sure that you don't have the gimmicks that are played versus tax back versus tax supported bond financing.
2: Bureaucrats and, will always find a way to get around the restriction on spending. Um, yeah. Congressman, let's talk quickly here. So China decided to put a spy balloon going across
1: America, which apparently the Biden administration has known about for more than a day or two. What should we be doing about that? I just saw that our secretary of state has canceled his trip to China because of this. What, as a congressman, what do you think we should do about this in Fracture?
3: Well, I think we have to be a country that's perceived, number one, in strength. And I also think that we need to return back to a place where the Congress, I, I said a while ago, war powers. Uh, most people don't realize, because since 1973, since the War Powers Act, we have allowed the president to be the one that's looked to in terms of um, um, the, the one who gets us into conflicts, And I, I contend. Um, when you look at the five wars that we declared and were successful in—the War of 1812, Mexican-American War, Spanish-American War, um, World War I, World War II—the people were with, the people were with um, the, the the war declaration, and we saw those wars through. And our founders were brilliant. They said the Congress, in Article One, Section 8 is the one to declare war. James Madison, one of my favorite fathers. You know, who's known as the Father Constitution, said there's no greater wisdom to be found in the Constitution than the the question of the clause, which leads the question of war and peace, to the legislature and not the executive. And I think what we've done is we have um, empowered the president through these War Powers Acts to make America look weak too often. and. Well, our yes needs to be yes, and our no needs to be no in America again. And Congress needs to return some powers back to itself as to um, when, we, when we're when going to get in a conflict, we're serious about it. And the American the will of the American people follows the Congress.
1: So what you absolutely agree on that. So what should as Congress, what should we do about them setting a spy balloon over our country, over Montana, looking at our nuclear silos?
3: Well, I think that the Congress needs to be talking about it. I think the Congress needs to be investigating. I think the, the oversight. Uh, needs to occur. And then we need to have a, a president who operates in strength and, and a president who um, is perceived as someone of strength. That's, that's been missing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what has surprised you, being a, you're, you're a new member of Congress, have there been any surprises so far since you've been there?
3: Well, my first week, being one of the 20, um, you know, with the speaker's um, vote, that was, you know, I'd hoped that we could have worked out um, – getting some rule changes and, and a direction on true spending reform. I'm, I'm grateful that the 20 of us that stood got great concessions on, on spending reform and going back to where the ranking file members have more power to put amendments, spending cut amendments specifically on the floor. Not a single amendment had been allowed from the floor in the last six years but under both Democrats and Republicans. And I will tell you, I'm excited about where Speaker McCarthy is having our conference leadership lead us right now we are having strong conversations about um discretionary spending
0: yep. discretionary
3: spending, it's not medicare or social security but we've grown the discretionary spending the minutiae the details the stuff people look at goes why should the federal government be involved in that we're having strong conversations about if we've grown those areas since, you know covid about 20 percent since 2019 pre-covid why wouldn't we look at some 2019 levels on what we were doing on some of that discretionary spending why is it such a big ask correct and that's coming up that conversation.
2: Well, and, and I believe you and your, your colleagues who did that are owed a lot of credit and a lot of kudos that you you took a lot of slings and arrows at that time. Uh, you had people calling you, you know, all sorts of names right up to Trader. But the actions and you guys standing firm on that have made a huge difference in how Kevin McCarthy and this Congress is operating. So I, I would like to, to thank you for that.
3: Well, thank you. And, I, and look, I want to say this. I'm, I'm encouraged. Um, I'm encouraged by um, the leadership that Speaker McCarthy is exemplifying, um, and it's you know there's leverage that was that was provided to, to say well, let's 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 go right. We, but Ronald Reagan talked about we need a Republican Party, you know, that's lifting bold colors, not pale pastels. The party that stands for certain principles that won't be moved, and that's what we're advocating for is. If you don't you don't get people to come in and say, I want to vote Republican because they think they're going to get the unit party. You get people wanting to vote Republican because they think these guys mean what they say and say what they mean.
2: Did Donald Trump create an opportunity for more Republicans? I mean, the one thing I, I most credit him with is that he took bold action, and I think people were desperate for bold action. And yeah. there's a lot more room, I think, for that now in Congress and, and in various state houses because of him.
3: No, I, he he uh, he went after political correctness, which is de, which is destroying us. Political correctness and and people just telling other from the, you know their positions in politics what they think people want to hear. It's destroying us. It's why people have got to get educated on what we're headed financially. Um, I we
1: absolutely. have to have people
3: shoot straight. And I was you know proud to see what Donald Trump did and and you know the guys that I, I'm blue collar. You know I grew up in the. In the cutting horse industry, uh, ranching, cattle industry, dozer, excavator, trucking—that's that's my small business background. You know the blue collar guys—they that resonates with them. They want a man's man that's going to stand up. And when he tells you something, you know that he's not turning around, whispering—you know—out the other side of his mouth to someone else. People are sick of that. I, they, I, want, they want they the truth.
2: Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about and what Washington has been missing for a long time is that simply get it done ethos that defines the blue collar. Uh, you know the blue collar portion of America; they're just looking for results, and when someone steps up and delivers, they're going to back them to the hilt.
3: Look, there's a scripture: of, of, of "Men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain." You place these as leaders over over a 1, hundreds, fifties, tens. I got the last part kind of paraphrased, but but that the point is if you can find somebody that you look at and go, I, I may not always agree with you, but if I think that you're a true and I feel like that you're not up there for self advancement and you're not there to line your pockets, I can get behind somebody like that. I don't have to agree with you. I just gotta know your motives are pure.
2: Great point. Yeah, absolutely. Point. And and those type of voters who look at the world that way have frankly the key swing voters in the last twenty years because they will go to whoever they see who evinces that sort of character.
3: Yeah. So, so the de- Vanity asks the question, is it, is it uh, popular? Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? And conscience asks the question, is it right? I learned that. I worked for a guy by the name of Tom Coburn who was known as being a truth teller. Many years ago I worked for him. And um, and uh, we need people that, that you look at and go, I'll go with you because I, I trust you.
2: Senator Coburn, the greatest waste fighter in modern American history.
3: Uh, he, was a, he, was a, he was a great dude.
2: Um, what, besides being a truth
1: teller that he taught you, what else did you learn from him when you worked for him?
3: Uh, he was talking $7 trillion national indebtedness. He was talking about when I worked almost 20 years ago, everybody opened their eyes and taken their first breath of air and $24,000 as their share of the national debt, that they would only pay off through a lower standard of living. That number, if I got a 15-month-old, that's part of why I ran. Uh-huh. Um, is looking at her and knowing, where what are we doing to secure the blessing of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, as the Constitution says? And I know her share now is 94000 And when uh-huh. I worked for Cobra 20 years ago, the baby that was born in that year was 24000 It's 94000 when a baby opens their eyes and takes in their first breath of air. And that's just the $31 trillion. That's not even the, the $20 trillion unfunded liability of Social Security Medicare insolvency upon us in five years, the actuary tells us, because it's got a $35 trillion hole in it. What we we'll owe veterans, what we we'll owe um, federal employees for pensions, intergovernmental debt. We're at north of $120 trillion sum total debt liability right now. And and out of all the countries, we're number 12th out of, out of countries just on the $31 trillion of our debt-to-GDP ratio. People have no uh, idea how bad a shape financial are as a nation.
2: I, I've been doing this a long time, and I didn't realize it had gotten up to $94,000 per person. That's amazing and terrifying. Congressman, we have just a, uh, about 30 seconds before we wrap up the program here. Tell folks how they can follow you and your work.
3: Um, Burkine.house.gov, www.burkine.house.gov. My last name is very difficult (laughs) to pronounce. (laughs) We'll have it up on our website
2: and Twitter for folks who want to follow you there.
3: Um, And, and look, I would just say we need people. We need a great awakening in this country. Um, For for our country to turn politics than culture, we don't have a great awakening where people are willing – Put with their, the nation's best interest and personal self-interest, we're not going to sacrifice for the next generation. We, we've inherited a great nation, and now we're borrowing it from our kids' future.
2: That's the final word. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Breaking Battlegrounds back on the air next week. Be sure to download and tune in for our podcast-only segment if you enjoy that. We are available on everywhere you can find a podcast. Breaking Battlegrounds back next week.
1: Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren, with Sam Stone. Today, we are honored to have the Honorable Christopher Campbell. He's a chief policy strategist for Kroll, based in New York office, but lives in Miami. He is a formerly deputy undersecretary of Treasury. He was on the finance committee, led the finance committee for the U.S. Senate. He is a man who understands numbers and the government, and we're honored to have him on. Chris, thanks for coming.
4: Uh, Chuck, it's great to be with you again. It's, uh, it's always an honor to be on your show.
1: Uh, a pleasure to have you. We're going to play a little clip here from Seinfeld. Go ahead, Jeremy.
3: Is this my stereo? Oh, hey, you got it. <laughs> hey, what happened to my stereo? It's all smashed up.
4: That's right. Now, it looks like it was broken during shipping, and I insured it for $400. <laughs>
3: but you were supposed to get me a refund. <laughs> you can't
4: get a refund. Your warranty expired two years ago.
3: we're gonna make the post office pay for my new stereo now it's a write-off for them how is it a write-off
4: they just write it off (laughs) write it off what jerry all these big companies they write off everything
3: you don't even know what a write-off is do you no i don't (laughs) but they do and they're the ones writing it off I wish I had the
0: last
1: 20 seconds of my life back. So one thing that they do in Washington is we throw out all these terms, tax credits, write-offs, and the American public doesn't know what it is. So now we hear the debt ceiling. We're $31 trillion in debt. I don't think people understand what that means. They're just sort of told, and it's true, we can't default. And at the same time, we can't continue down this path of adding more and more and more to us because, you know, people want to be paid back eventually. What do you see coming about here in negotiations with House Republicans and the Biden administration? I mean, how do we get out of this impasse?
4: Yeah, Chuck, this is, you know, it's an extremely great question. I'm often I'm often asked the question. It, it's, there's really no really good answer to the question, but I, I'll say this. Is I I've, I like to liken the, the debt ceiling to, to people, something that everyone kind of understands, which is that almost everyone in America has a credit card. And you spend money on the credit card and you pay your credit card off, right? You may pay it monthly, you may pay it all at once. Uh, You know, uh, some people can't pay it and they get, you know, then the credit card companies start calling them. Um, And but what happens if you just choose not to pay your credit cards altogether? Um, What typically happens in America is that, you know, they start, you know, sending threatening letters and they put it in the collections and those kinds of things. But one thing is is a real challenge is if, if you're dependent upon a credit card to live and you must use a credit card every single month. But you don't pay your credit card another credit card company is not going to give you credit so there's yeah so you're in this left in this impossible situation which is i have to have a credit card to live to be able to pay my bills but no one's willing to give me a credit card that's effectively we're talking about the when when the american government starts talking about defaulting so if we're not going to pay back those that we that have lent us money in the past they're not going to give us additional borrowing authority. They're not going to. They're not going to lend us more money in the future. And if they do use it, uh, give us more money, it's going to become a lot more costly. So we're actually going to have to pay a lot more for the money they would give us if we if we had not, other than if we had not uh, defaulted or not paid our bills back.
2: So that's really exactly this
4: that that it, it, in a,
2: in to continue your analogy it's like you went from say an american express or another very good you know gold card platinum whatever and now you're getting those bottom basement cards that are charging you tons of fees and an enormous interest
4: it is exactly the same it literally is exactly the same thing so it's again it's it's very complicated in the the process but it's actually the 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 st- the steps are exactly the same as the american family does which is again, if you again, if you're a, if you have a platinum or black American Express card, the best that there is, and you don't pay that bill, you're going to have to go to you know a credit card company. You probably can't even pronounce their name, and they're going to charge you three hundred percent on to borrow money. Right. Tomorrow right. Um, that's exactly the same thing that would happen to the U.S. government, and at a time when the U.S. government is just has made so many bad decisions over such a long period of time, we have so much debt. That the servicing of that debt or the interest that we'd have to pay on that debt is so high already that if we, if we were to go into technical default or not pay our bills, the servicing on the debt would, would, go, would just go astronomically high where we'd have to pay so much more money just to get new credit, new debt uh, to, 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 to for us, our, our government operations to, to exist. One thing that's going to blow your mind and always it always makes me angry and I'm sure that your listeners are the same which is um you know since, since the 2017 tax reform act the government has as has brought in a record number of revenue every single year since 2017 so every year 18 19 20 21 the government receipts or the government the amount of money the government collects on taxes, is record every single year. Well, and yet, with those record receipts, the government continues to spend $1.3. One, so every, every dollar it brings in, it spends $1.3.
1: It's funny. I actually looked this up because I, I follow some Twitter accounts just to increase my blood pressure. One is Robert Reich of the Clinton administration, and he was complaining about this. And so I looked it up. In seventeen, tax revenue for the federal government was like $3. Point two trillion. It's now like four point three trillion over four years. It's increased a trillion dollars in revenue, but our spending has increased three trillion dollars. So, let me ask you. I want to go back to this debt question, but I want you to explain something here. So, and and tell us what the government's doing, then explain it if you were running a household. The the Biden administration now is saying they're doing extraordinary measures so we don't default on our debt ceiling. Now they're probably going to have some things like april's tax season so a bunch of money comes in right you have quarterly payments things like that but what are these extraordinary measures they're doing and then if you can also relate it say like this is a household here's the extraordinary measures they're doing
4: yeah so again chuck it's an incredibly great question there is a lot of opaqueness um and some of it be very necessary because there is a lot of um uh the market could, could respond you know to some of the some of this stuff but uh, but, you know, so this is um, working in, in Congress, as you mentioned, and also working in the administration at Treasury. I was privy to a lot of the, a lot of the, what goes on. But let's just without without kind of pulling the curtain all the way back. Let's just say that, you know, it gets the government has a lot of accounts um, that it manages. The Treasury Department has a lot of accounts that it manages, um, some that have large cash reserves um, and some, you know, and so there's a, there's a, there's a, with prudent cash management, like just like if you would at, at home, like for instance, you may have a 401k account um, that, you know, God forbid things go really wrong and you may need to rate and rate that 401k account to pay bills. Right. I mean, it's not prudent. It's not smart. No, no, no uh, money manager is going to tell you to do that. But if you're in, if you're in dire situations, you may have to do that. Correct. Um, government does the same thing government has a lot of accounts um that it, that it controls and and it with prudent and very careful money management um can elongate um the amount of money it 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 can you know has to spend uh with with some creative account uh, creative ways of of, of of money management yeah if, uh, if
2: they ever locate the four trillion dollars the Pentagon has lost in the last <laughs> decade we, we're we're right. in much better shape to say say.
4: Uh, but it's so. I, I think it's it kind of likening, it's It's kind of back to the family. I think it's that. I think you know. And candidly, I mean, really, genuinely, it's uh, the mandate for the Treasury Department is you know, like if they they're get there to do everything they can to elongate that as best as, as long as possible. So I, my joke is always you know when the government starts selling the furniture, um, you know, you, you know we're in real trouble. So it's you know but it's you know, it's just the government has and the Treasury Secretary has the rights and responsibilities working with the administration to do everything in her, now her power to make sure the government can spend it uh, can, can pay its bills back and that's you know one of her be- uh, most uh, best and most most important jobs
1: so our national debt is what 123 125 percent of our GDP is that what it is basically
4: yeah, we're, we're approaching there and it's it's you know and the problem is that the trajectory is just it's just uh it's not going away right so the, the annual deficit is still con- continues to increase. Which just you know further adds to the the national debt the, the debt, and the other the other challenge we have is that um, you know Chuck you and I've talked about this before and this is just it's maddening to me but um, there's a lot of programs that are just what we call off book so they're actually not even embedded in the national debt and those are Medicare Medicaid and Social Security so that the the unfunded liabilities in those three programs alone are m- multi trillions of dollars that um, are not even embedded in our national debt. Uh, figures.
1: So let me have a what about moment. What about Muslim? What about moment here? What other countries have this type of debt ratio? Is that like almost everybody now?
4: Uh, no, uh, you know, it's, uh, God, it's a good, it's a great please question please so. don't
1: tell please, please don't tell me canada has a crap together you, anybody <laughs> <else in Canada. laughs> no, no, japan
4: japan has has uh, has some trouble trouble here uh the european union before it became the the central european union um had some countries within that within that union had some real significant challenges uh other there are other countries that have, have defaulted on loans in the past and uh, like argentina that ha- are on this now cycle of dependency where they just can't get out of, of, of that cycle, and it yet looks like they may go go down another default again. Um, so, like I say it kind of uh, the one th- thing that America has going for it, and really, there's you know, like, knock on wood here, but there's no real. Um, one country or even a kind of a coalition of countries that could supplant this, is that we have the reserve currency. So the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency around the entire world. And so therefore, it would be, um, uh, this is why default for the, for the U.S. dollar is just, it's, it's so catastrophic because the ripple effect it would have on currencies around the world would be, is yeah it really genuinely no one knows what that what the day after looks like but it's called it's uh, called a everyone, depression
1: isn't it isn't it called yeah, a depression
4: yeah but every everyone knows it's not going to be good right
2: right so yeah, I, yeah I, right it's, it's not good it could
4: it could yeah. be really 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 bad or just bad but it's none of it's good
2: there's no there's no, no good on this yeah, so Correct. so looking at some numbers the united states is 12th 12th worst debt to gdp ratio number one venezuela Oh, boy, that's, two, that's not good company. Number two, Japan, then Sudan, Greece, Lebanon, Cabo Verde, Italy, Libya, Portugal, Singapore, Bahrain. Yeah. That's oh. not a list you want to be on. No. I mean, Japan no. Japan is the no, only let, country so, on there with a real economy. So, Chris, let me ask you this question. So, the United
1: States obviously is built differently than the rest of the economies in the world, right? We We do have certain fundamentals that... No other country has in the world in a lot of ways with the economy, including the you know our currency reserve and so forth. But, okay, so say, how does the United States pay off $30 trillion? Do we just say we're not going to add any more to it over the coming years? I mean, we'll have a couple more debt ceiling increases, but we're going to have a budget together where we don't add to it. And because of the growth of our economy, because of our innovation – we're going to sort of grow our way and pay this back over 50, years. Does that work for the markets? I mean, is that is that the way to do this? I mean, somehow it's got to be – someone has to be paid. At the end of the day, someone has to be paid. And we're spending $750 billion a
2: year on interest. There has to be a reckoning, and they cannot tax yeah, so, their way so out how how do we?
1: So how do we – is that how this goes about? Would the markets react – again, you're just – I don't want you to do anything that causes problems. But is that something the United States said, look, we have a plan. We're putting it together. This is what we're going to do. I mean it seems like the world with markets financial people think that's pretty cool. Is that even a possibility?
4: So look, you know, this is again a brilliant question, very very complicated set of answers. Uh, you know, there is a typically on the left, um there is a new monetary uh philosophy that suggests that debt just doesn't matter and that the government can continue to 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 amass as much debt as possible because they are the ones that determine the, the payments. So some and more. So, so this.
1: So some moron professors come up with this theory that doesn't make well, any sense. Well,
4: except that theory had every
2: hole in the world punched in it in the yeah. last go, two years. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry about that.
4: Yeah. So I mean, there, but there there are some folks on the left that, that believe that. Uh, there's there's a lot of folks on the right that believe that we need to to have to put the, the US government under the constraints that every state has and, and making sure that the federal government balances its budget every single year, right? So every state in the country and every family in, the, in our country has to balance a budget or they're going to go to jail or they're going to have to go bankrupt or they or they're going to have to cease operations in, in some in states in state capacities, right? So but putting the, the federal government under the same constraints that, that states and families have, you know, on the right, um, people would argue that that's 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 kind of a fairness uh, uh, so solution. So if you kind of look at the at the bookends of each of the left and right, that's kind of where we're at in the country. Certainly in the middle, uh, I think that there's there's when you look at this kind of, um, you know, kind of dispassionately as much as you can. It certainly makes sense for us to start look, shrinking that gap. Like if we're going to take a dollar in, let's let's. Let's spend one point zero two percent. Let's 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 get rid of our annual deficit. So the year, uh, the you know, the, the amount of money we're borrowing every single year to to continue operations in the United States. Let's shrink that. We can do that responsibly in our country by making prudent decisions on on government programs that we're going to spend uh, where we're going to spend money on, and uh, and and starting to you know having. These programs that work, you know, the, the reality is this: the government. I can't remember a time I've worked in a government a long time. I cannot remember a time the U.S. government eliminated a program. One, the only thing, only way the programs go are they get bigger. They never get smaller, and they never get eliminated. Right. Right. So having government programs have to justify what they do, right, or to stand the test of, of scrutiny on 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 audit, or for whatever reason. We have to. We, we're at a place now where we're having to make a decision. Do we do we and do we put the burden on our kids and grandkids, uh, paying back a, bur- a debt that they will never repay? Right now, it's ninety six thousand dollars a person. That's the burden that every single person in America has, of uh, for the debt. Right? I mean, remind everybody that now this year, sixty five percent of our country lived paycheck to paycheck. Yes. I mean, it's 96 thousand dollars per person is is unthinkable I mean it's just it's unapproachable for so many Americans and so it, it, it's just unfair and, we're, and we're, we're we're making that worse every single generation we do because the pa- the, the money we're to spend just to service the debt the more the, the bigger the debt goes the more interest we're going to pay right so we have to we have to stop spending more money than we take in. well which is
1: funny all these class warriors don't realize that this hurts those they supposedly represent and care for the most
4: 100% hurts those who who earn the earn the least and the work and work the hardest well and, and then
2: it, chris to 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 counter another point that you know they're going to say when they hear a conversation like this let's say they tax the rich at an extraordinary rate at an an actual rate of 70 or 80% that wouldn't be close to enough money to close this gap would it
4: so, again, another brilliant question, and this always blows everyone's mind. No one ever believes me, so I, I encourage your <laughs> listeners to, to Google this. But uh, so the federal government has a lot of powers. Of course, it has the power to tax. And so you can you can you can levy a tax on income. And so every millionaire in our country, you can you can tax 100 percent of their earnings, 100 percent of their earnings. And. The federal government also has this amazing ability, it's called the taking, it's there's a takings clause in the, in the Constitution where the government can come in and actually take whatever they want to, based on special circumstances. So let's, let's say that the government comes in and says like, we're going to do a federal taking, we're going to go into the bank accounts of all the people who make a million dollars or more, that still does not pay off our debt.
1: That's incredible. All right, so... You were the majority staff director for the U.S. Senate Committee on Finance. Were you Correct. there when the last time we had the two? That were you at that position when we had the 2011?
4: Bayer- so I've negotiated the last twelve debt ceiling increases. Uh, one Correct. of those being one of the 2011 that led to the super committee.
1: So how's this compare to those in the past? The current issue. Uh,
4: this is. Uh, I, we've never had a. a this is the hardest one we're ever going to have to get through. I, I, I genuinely, Chuck, I don't know how it's going to happen. Um, it's uh, there's a couple rabbits in the hat that that, that Speaker McCarthy and and uh, you know Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell have, but I think. Um, that there's so many compounding challenges, and that is that we actually negotiated directly with then Vice President Biden in 2011 um, on that debt ceiling increase, which led, led led to the super committee, which then later led led later led to sequester, which which was a you know I like guess significant reduction in spending in in defense, in national defense. Um, but because of that, and because of the how that went about, then Vice President Biden, now President Biden. Really felt like he was. I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would, I would, I would assume that he felt like he was, uh, betray, you know, a little betrayed in the in the in the discussions, and um, and so I don't think he's eager to to negotiate. Ugh. But the reality is, not negotiating is is very difficult, and the and not and for whatever reason, uh, going past that date of default, even if it's just technical, would be catastrophic economically. It went-
1: Well, we just – like I said, we just had before Congressman Brakeen from Oklahoma. He's new. Um, He's panicked about this issue, and he is hell-bent that they start doing – Budgeting differently in D.C. I mean – and and, and that's a problem because I think there's about 40 House members like that.
2: And he's got the right attitude, but the problem you run into is the entire bureaucracies and the Democrat Party are filled with people. If you try to cut a single dollar, they scream that you're killing children. Well, even freezing you're cutting, right? Even if you say we're going to have the same budget as last year. Well, you're cutting. What are you doing? You're killing
4: all of us here. Yeah, as you know, a, a good a good political mentor of mine always said that that you know democracies are the best way of doing governments and governing the entire world, but they fail when people realize that they can vote themselves largesse, yeah. and so that the the reality is, is that you know it's when people can can vote for people who continue to give them more money and for and, and using the government for redistribution, that's when, you know, like this democratic uh, uh big experiment that we've been under for almost three hundred more than three hundred years starts to fail. So right? I'm gonna ask so, you,
1: I'm gonna ask you a question here. We're running out of time. So you you one of your specialty is healthcare companies, things of that nature, correct? Yes. yes. A lot of this money goes towards healthcare. I mean it's just expensive, you know? Um my my insurance, for, you know, for, for a, one son at home is like sixteen hundred dollars a month. How do we get this under control? I know, as Republicans, we always think the free markets are going to solve everything. You know, that's just what we believe in a lot of ways, but it's also not reality in a lot of ways. What what do we do to get these health care costs, Medicare, Medicaid, under control?
4: Yeah, it's, a, it's a brilliant question. There's. <laughs> A very, very extreme. And this is an entire show, Chuck. So. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but,
1: there, I mean, I don't think there's an easy way. I mean That's but, the way people ask me all the time. Like, what's your opinion? I said, I don't have one because I don't know. I don't think there's an answer,
0: yeah,
2: Chuck, Chuck. Right at the end of the program, I think it's a perfect idea <laughs> to launch into a discussion <laughs> in about 15 what we seconds do. solve yeah. the problem. Here, here's
4: the issue: like, we, we we as humans and Americans, we spend that we spend almost 80 percent of money that we will ever spend in our entire lives in healthcare in the last three years of our life. That's we the, need the discussion. Probably, yeah, We need to find a way to actually make us more healthy and to spend that money on, on preventative care and not sick care at the end of our lives. Nobody in this so,
2: world wants to have that conversation so, publicly. So move to Miami, walk
1: every day, get a little vitamin D, health care will improve. Pay lower taxes.
4: <laughs> less, less stress. Come on, come on down.
1: Chris Campbell, thanks a million, buddy. Appreciate you. Have good. a good day.
2: That was a fantastic interview, Chuck, and, and I hope folks learned something from that. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. Get our podcast every week dropped right into your email box. You can find us at BreakingBattlegrounds.Vote. This is Sam Stone in the studio with Chuck Warren. Chuck, uh, we've had some great guests on the program today, and I obviously thank them for that. But um, we need to talk about something going on here in Arizona. that I make This kind of stuff just makes my skin crawl when I see it. Well, it's a bunch of elitist professors at Barrett. Now, dear
1: audience, ASU has an honors program called Barrett College. Barrett College is a very respected honors program. It's sort of like this microcosm of an Ivy League education on ASU campus. My oldest daughter went to it. It's hard to get into. It's a fantastic education. But as all things that are happening in higher ed now. You have a certain segment of professors, and I want to be very blunt here. This is not all professors, but there's probably a good third of professors at any university who think anybody who has an opinion that differs than what they believe should not be able to speak. That's where we're at right now. Now I don't know if that's a trend that's happening more now or if that's always been, but it's now it's more um, it's easily done with social media and complaining and so forth. And frankly our media is lines up with their beliefs a lot of time these thirds so you know they have they have benefactors and enablers in the press which pronounce this so barrett college has coming to speak to their honor college on, on a
2: health wealth and happiness seminar a, event a seminar event then we, so no so no one's getting credits no and no, this, this isn't political actually no, so. it's it's really about other things so right? we have
1: friend of the show Dennis Prager mm-hmm. who is probably As smart, if not smarter, than any of these professors complaining. He's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. Absolutely. A a, a student of the world, uh, highly educated, um, graduate degree in studying Russia. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's frankly smarter than any of the 25 here moaning and groaning. Right. And then you have Charlie Kirk, who's not a college graduate, but he's coming because it's
2: a happy, lovey-dovey seminar on how to have a better life. They are, and, And to be fair, look. Charlie has been very successful at building a path for himself without a college degree and built a big organization. Right, and, and, right. I mean, you know, look, credit people, What whether you like their politics or not, credit people for their accomplishments. And again, he's not teaching a class where someone gets credit. No. This is a seminar. And, and the third speaker <laughs> is Robert Kiyosaki. Right. And Sam talked a lot about Robert and I mean, his success. I mean, Robert is one of the leading authors of how to build, you know, for sort of how to build wealth uh, books in this country. And his... His advice, frankly, I know him well. He's a fantastic person. He lives here in Phoenix. His advice is straightforward common sense. It's investing in things that have real value and generate returns over time. That is the, the cornerstone of, of everything he's done. Gold, silver. Gold, silver, real estate, property, things that have intrinsic value in any market. And, folks, I mean, that's just simply great financial advice, period. Right. You know, I – And they literally come in this letter from these professors at Barrett, and they they basically say that everything Robert's ever done is a scam, that it's some sort of pyramid sales scheme, which is total bunk. I mean,
1: if you're putting Robert to that standard, are they saying the same thing about Tony Robbins? A million people they probably would accept as being okay. Right. Right? You know, you have professors here, like we have one professor whose Twitter account MI April D. She has a nice rainbow flag. She's a professor, lover of silent film, horror. She's one of the people complaining. And her comment on t- her, her tweet yesterday was This is the kind of speaker my college is helping to promote. I'm beyond horrified to see ASU and Barrett putting people like him on stage. I mean, well, I don't even know what to say. I mean, they just don't want any diversity of thought anymore.
2: But first, I guarantee none of these 25. 25- professors who, you know, theoretically educated humans who are saying this, I guarantee none of them have actually paid attention enough to listen and understand what any of these three men talk about or stand for. And in part, I, I say that because the letter they sent out that, that got leaked that I have here and, and you have seen, um, they have links to all the supposed evil that these people are involved with. Every one of those links is a bloody Media Matters clip that's taken out of context. Uh, Medium Matters, which
1: is definitely very far left attack machine. Yeah, that, paid, it, paid by a bunch of Hollywood and New York elites. Yeah, Plain and, it's, and simple. It's all they do is attack. Its they make purpose it up. is spin. Period. Not truth. I mean, let's talk about this professor again on Twitter, MI April D. She puts a comment about, they showed a program note here with um, Prager and Kiyosaki and says, when your college sells its soul to the highest bidder, this is the result. What an outrageous embarrassment, money over ethics, donors before students. I'm interested where she thinks money comes from from the university. I uh, mean Because I'm sure there are a lot of donors to ASU that
2: conservatives and moderates would be abhorred. If they knew their background, well, I got to tell you, what this says to me, quite frankly, is that Barrett needs to sweep out a bunch of uh, DEI obsessed professors from its ranks. And in one of the, you know, the, the disappointing things about Carrie Lake's loss in Arizona, and folks know I was working with her, we were going to go in and do a lot of what Ron DeSantis is doing right now, sweeping out um, these these ingrained. Race baiters that have taken over academia and who are the farthest thing from actual academics because they are simply propagandists. They they are the purveyors of the new Pravda. We will keep up on this issue. We're learning more. We're probably going to write something,
1: put it on our Breaking Battleground Substack and website, um, and we're going to try to have Dennis Prager on next week. But folks, we need to live in a world. Where a university could bring on, for example, AOC, and Sam and I are not going to have a heart attack about it. No, I never would. I don't care. I don't care. And she's, and she's welcome to do that based on the nature of our country. Right. right. So bring AOC, bring the squad. I don't care. People need to hear them. And if what they're telling you is so bad, people will dismiss it. Right. And why that is a hard concept. For a
2: bunch of university professors, now is mind boggling. Well, I, I would add this: these folks, you know, academia. The the thing that bothers me often the most about modern academia is they clearly view themselves as being uh, better and more informed and more intelligent than the masses. Well, out just there, ask them, right? They'll tell, they'll yeah, just ask them; they'll tell you. They will absolutely tell you that. But these folks, quite frankly, Chuck, are so stupid that they cannot combat other ideas. Then they are certainly not living up to their own self image. No, not at all, and they're not enlightened. No,
1: at, at any means. It's a cult. Let's talk about one other item before we end this podcast segment. China sent a spy balloon over Montana. Now we try to get our last guest to be a little more specific on it. And I understand I, as I, a I, congressman, and you have and to I, be and a, a little more. I didn't. Yeah. Us being on talk radio can be a little more blunt about the motives. Now I agree. Um, it would be it would be refreshing to see the president convene. Congress or at least bring leadership in and say this is what happened and have them go back to their caucuses and discuss it. That, That'd be that great. is probably the best way to do it. But in case you're not aware of this, a Chinese spy balloon has been flying over the United States for a couple of days. Okay, This is just a brazen act. Our Secretary of State was supposed to head to China today or tomorrow. He has now canceled that trip because he was hoping to tone down the rhetoric, which we commend. Right. Absolutely. We We, don't don't want conflict of China. We want to coexist.
2: We're not always going to agree. We want to be a bumper sticker. We want to coexist. We we want to coexist, but contest in the realm of ideas and commerce. So they say
1: U.S. military leaders considered shooting down the balloon over Montana on Wednesday. They eventually advised President Biden against it because of the safety risk of debris. Okay, That makes sense. All right. Makes sense. So – from Billings, Montana, they issued a ground stop as the military mobilized assets, including F-22 fighter jets, in case Biden ordered the balloon shot down. Montana, in case no one knows this, especially our friends in Florida who are listening to the show, is one of America's three nuclear missile silo fields. Right. So so it's, you have Montana. Wyoming. Wyoming and Nebraska. Nevada. No, it's Nebraska. Was it Nebraska? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think- so- So, now, of course, (laughs) China, (laughs) they're always good for a comment, right? Um, They said they were verifying the situation, and China says it has no intention of violating the land, territory, and airspace of any sovereign country. Since we've been recording today, China has said it was a commercial balloon. It is not a military balloon. So... Hopefully, this issue is resolved by the time we're on the show again
2: next week. I don't want to see this dragged out because of it. Here's my view, Chuck. That thing is up in the jet stream. It is crossing a lot of open territory with nothing underneath it. Just go ahead and pop the balloon. Right. So, But China is now... They're trying to verify the situation (laughs) and and
1: China has said there's no intention of violating the land, territory and airspace of any sovereign nation. Obviously, they are not taking talking points from Russia. (laughs) This is Breaking Battlegrounds. We hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.
0: The political field is all about reputation. So don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.